0: Shachtum, an Indo Askeliger.
1: Time a mon the end of Chacht er a corp, Agasuligum a Makansha, Gurfeger e a her, inuik cart, len of winter thing. Schilti, vis, turme.
2: Toshi, dochretchet, nach vetach, ara, igornemjon, unchest in the echo. Vientalem a or corn yeah, to and Shachtan. Find us
0: on all the usual podcast platforms.
1: This is an Irish independent podcast.
0: Today on the Indo-Daily, is the far right headed for
1: the ballot box in Ireland? There is this growing feeling which hard right parties thrive on, that, that the elites have far too much sway and they don't care about ordinary people. The Black Thursday
0: riots in Dublin city centre were the biggest flashpoint so far in the emergence of the far right in this country.
2: I'd say within less than an hour after that break in news alert, there were calls from prominent figures within the anti immigration movement to get people into, into the city centre that evening and to mobilise people to fight back.
0: But what is driving the growth of the far right across Europe? And what could be the consequences of its support at the ballot box?
2: Even he couldn't believe the exit polls. <laughs> 35 seats, he shouts. By this morning, it was 37. The far-right populist who'd loomed large on the fringes, an MP for a quarter of a century, today sips champagne in Parliament. Geert Wilders' Freedom Party, or PVV, claiming a thumping victory in the Dutch general election.
0: I'm Fianon Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by John Downing, political correspondent at the Irish Independent, and Eva Gallagher, senior analyst at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, to analyse the emergence of a new movement in Ireland. John, events in Dublin uh, last Thursday. These are not the kind of things we're used to seeing in Ireland, but is that the reality now that we, we should expect that what we would previously see on the continent is now, has now reached a domestic venue.
1: Well, the short and blunt answer is that such occurrences and support for hard-right political parties is on the rise across Europe and there is no God-given reason why Ireland should be any different.
0: When we talk about the far-right, the hard-right, what are we talking about can we is is there a distinct political pigeonhole that you can put them into
1: there are people who speak about wanting to get back to traditional values there are people who evoke a kind of atavistic nationalism uh, we saw last week just just actually 24 hours before violence erupted on the streets of dublin we saw the dutch Answer to, to Donald Trump, the bottle blonde Gert Wilders. We saw his hard right party emerge as the surprise biggest party in the Dutch parliamentary elections.
0: The voters have spoken. The voters have determined that the PVV become the largest party by far. The hope of so many people is that things must change in the Netherlands, that the influx of asylum seekers will be limited, that ordinary Dutch people will have more money in their pockets again, that homes will go back to the Dutch, that the Dutch will be put in the first place
1: again. Last year, the net migration to the Netherlands was 225,000 people. Coincide that with a cost of living crisis a shortage of housing and spiraling energy prices and uneasiness about the conflict in Ukraine and the conflict in the Middle East. And you you find a receptive audience listening to people saying, you know, we, we really have too many migrants here. We really need to put our own, quote unquote, our own people first It's quite bogus stuff, really. I mean, I used to live in Holland. It's a very, very diverse society and it's not going to cease to be that anytime soon. But it's clear that uh, there are that these slogans are working. He was tipped widely in 2017, two elections ago, and that was in the wake of Brexit and all the rest of that. Uh, Euroscepticism, of course, is a persistent trend with these hard right uh, parties. There was a feeling that that he would do very well in the spring of 2017, but he did not, and he didn't do subsequently either. So it seems a, a confluence of events, cost of living crisis, record migrant numbers and uh, housing shortage all coming together. As you say, though,
0: we're not Looking in isolation here at a, at a one-off result rocking the entire continent, there has been a pattern developing here. Let's start in Denmark.
1: Um, it, the Danish hard right has been uh, on the go, and it did very strongly from about 2015 onwards. It's very divided at the moment and on the wane, but it has participated in past governments and been very influential in changing uh, migration policy. Similarly, Sweden, the Swedish Democrats, who have a, a very dark origin, uh, borderline fascist at one stage, they uh, did very well in elections last autumn. Now
0: this man, Ulf Christensen, is expected to form a government. His blog includes the Sweden democrat a far-right party that has vowed to make Sweden safe again by bringing in longer prison sentences and restricting immigration.
1: They are not in coalition, but they are supporting a minority government and have a lot of influence. Sweden and Denmark, both countries, would get a very high rating for pluralism, for tolerance and democracy. Now, sort of mid-ranking
0: countries there in terms of, of size and, and EU membership. You've got developments, though, in some European giants here. Italy, Giorgia Maloney
1: now leading the country. What has been the cause of that development? Again, migration, Italy being in the front line of migrants coming across the Mediterranean in vast numbers and a feeling very prevalent in Italy that they have been left uh, alone to try and face this difficulty without much support from the the other uh, countries. It seems clear to me that what came out from the first projections is that Italians in these general elections have expressed a clear indication that they want a centre-right government led by brothers of Italy. What is happening is quite interesting, though, in Italy, in that her Brothers of Italy party, originally it had its origins from a fascist party, but she has moved it more mainstream and she has dialed down a lot of the Euroscepticism. There has been some relief and agreeable surprise at EU summits, for example, that she regularly attends since um, since she was elected a little over 12 months ago so uh, that of itself is interesting
0: now in in France the Le Pen family have been figures on the landscape for quite some time now as of now, what are the chances of Marine Le Pen actually becoming the next president?
2: I will bring back France's sovereignty in all areas, which means the freedom for the French people to decide for themselves and defend their interests. I will control immigration and re-establish security for all.
1: I think they're very strong. Uh, I covered the, the election in 2022. She stood in 2012, 2017 and 2022, each time increasing her vote. And in the runoff last time, she uh, she got four out of 10 people to vote for her. She had one third in uh, 2017. So there is an incremental rise. Emmanuel Macron won uh, in in large part because of the fear that they couldn't have a far right president. But he then went on to, to lose his majority in the national parliament elections that followed. And the Rassemblement National, Le Pen's party, won a sizable parliamentary presence of 80 seats. So uh, already there is talk about that she, she can do it in 2027. Uh, Michel Barnier, who will be known in these parts, For his work on the Brexit negotiations, he's 72 years old, but he's still very prominent in the residual Gaullist movement. And he is already talking about the need for an agreed orthodox centre-right candidate to rival her in the 2027 presidential elections. Talk to me about
0: Spain, because it would appear they swung to the right and have now come back again.
1: Yes, it is very interesting. The elections there last July, the Vox Party, who were the, who were the uh, hard right party, they suffered reverses and it's, it's widely believed the reason they went backwards was because of climate change scepticism in a country that is literally burning was all, all last summer. And uh, the elections were on the 22nd of July.
2: Pedro Sánchez went so far as to say that his conservative adversaries had been defeated.
0: Spain and all its citizens who have voted have been crystal clear.
1: The backwards bloc that wanted to roll back all the progress we have made over the past four years has failed. The other thing was a reversal of gender equality and gay rights, uh, there was also a pretty stellar performance by Pedro Sanchez. And this is interesting because Michel Barnier is now saying the same thing about France, that orthodox politicians have to get out there. They have to work harder. They have to sell their message more strongly. They have to explain far more because there is this growing feeling which hard-right parties thrive on, that that the elites have far too much sway and they don't care about ordinary people.
0: Are we ripe for the taking here in Ireland by uh, some form of of organised right wing leader to come along and win substantial amounts of political support.
1: There is no sign of, of any such thing on the horizon at time of speaking. But then again, there wasn't in many of the other countries that we've just discussed either, some relatively recently. So um I, I do believe there there is space for a hard right, yes. Eva,
0: can you tell me about your work at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue?
2: So ISD is a it's a global nonprofit kind of generally working to push back against polarization and extremism and disinformation across the world. So we have people working in, in countries around the world with kind of expertise in all areas of extremism, the kind of entire spectrum of all those issue areas. Um, I personally work on the digital analysis unit. So I, my job, day-to-day job is essentially is to analyze and kind of try and understand the online spaces where mis- and disinformation and extremism are spread, um, as well as trying to understand who's behind them, the, the different people and different groups involved, and the kind of narratives and tactics that they use.
0: Tell me about the, the report you published then in, in recent weeks. What did you find?
2: Yeah, so we happened to release a a substantial piece of research actually this day last week, last Monday, um, looking at what we call the missing disinformation ecosystem in Ireland. So it was essentially our attempt to try and understand the proliferation of missing disinformation in an Irish context. And it was based on an analysis of over 13 million online posts published across 12 different social media platforms from 1600 accounts that have a history of sharing false or misleading or kind of conspiratorial claims. So one of the, I suppose, the top finding from that research is not just that the ecosystem has increased substantially in recent years; it's also that the people and groups associated with the far right are often the ones leading the charge when they are talking about different topics, and and also specifically in the spread of false information. And there's also quite substantial evidence that you know online rhetoric and falsehoods are being used to mobilize people offline, which we saw very very clearly on Thursday as well. Um, And then as well as that, I suppose it's also quite clear from the data that the pandemic was a real catalyst for the spread of falsehoods. And that's what we see is that a lot of online communities that were set up to discuss, say, you know, anti-lockdown and anti-mask and kind of anti-vaccine theories and different kind of COVID conspiracy theories, they've now essentially become conduits for false and misleading and hateful claims related to a variety of topics, but most substantially immigration Um, the LGBTQ community or climate change denial would probably be the the most substantial ones. What the pandemic really did was kind of bring a lot of disparate groups together that wouldn't really have interacted in the pre-pandemic world. So you kind of, you have anti-vaccine activists that started mixing with, you know, members of the far right and anti-5G campaigners and new age wellness and spirituality communities. And it kind of resulted in this coalescing of online spaces um so our research was essentially trying to understand this coalescing in an irish context um but yeah covid was was a huge huge kind of catalyst for a lot of this for sure can
0: you tell me what social media platform is is proving to be the most prolific in terms of the spreading of this false information
2: yeah, I suppose our research shows that there's, I suppose the two platforms I would say that are the most prolific in this ecosystem are Twitter and Telegram. Now, some of this, it has to be said, is down to the data that you can access from social media platforms. At the time that we did our analysis, um, Twitter was quite open in terms of data access. That has now changed under Musk. Um, Telegram is also quite open, not as open as it could be, but it's, a, it's open enough. But then if you take a platform like TikTok, it's actually at this moment in time impossible to research anything on TikTok at scale you know any research is done manually it's very labor intensive um so without that data access on other platforms we're really only getting a part of the story and this is actually a major issue just kind of more broadly in terms of this research but really I think um yeah our research definitely shows that um Twitter is a a huge player and Telegram is also um yeah a major player in that world as well
0: and are you finding sort of that the far right are unquestionably using social media both for spreading of messaging and also for organizational purposes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at this kind of online ecosystem, as we call it, in many ways, these kind of communities have created their own version of reality. You know, they have their their kind of alternative media sites that they kind of lean into and spread content from. These sites often kind of promote false or hateful information or conspiracy theories. They use, you know, online funding mechanisms to raise money for their causes. They have their own influencers. They have their own, you know, their own chat communities. So it really is kind of their own little space, I suppose, in the online world. Um, But social media is also largely where they mobilize and organize people. Almost immediately after the news broke of that horrific knife attack on Thursday, there were efforts across social media platforms to mobilize and and get people to the streets. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's quite clear that these kind of calls that are spread across social media platforms are being used extremely quickly um, and are spilling into real life very quickly.
0: And and going back to last Thursday, how soon after the attack were you noticing that this spreading of messaging and these attempts to organise was happening?
2: Immediately. Um, As soon as I got the breaking news alert on my phone, I obviously went to see what was being said about it. And it was already... Uh, kind of rumors and speculation that uh, the attacker was um, a non-national or a foreigner um, and I'd say within definitely less than an hour after that breaking news alert that I got there were calls from prominent uh, figures within the anti-immigration movement um, to get people into, into the city centre that evening and to yeah essentially uh, mobilise people to, get, to fight back.
0: Are you using high tech algorithms not available to anybody else, or is it possible that the Gardaí or other security services can monitor the same channels as you're looking at?
2: Well, uh, we use a mixture, so we have, yeah. we work with a, an organisation called the Centre for the Analysis of Social Media, and they're kind of tech gurus again it goes back to the data access that you can get from certain platforms so there's certain platforms that you can look at at scale and then there's other ones that you just can't that you have to do manually Um, so really no i mean there's nothing special about the tools that we use i think they could probably be built by anyone that have um a really good knowledge of how tech platforms work and how api access works so um really i would would think that's hopefully the guardian anyone who is um involved in kind of looking at these spaces would have access to the same things that we have
0: so is it literally as simple as messaging on social media, encouraging people to, to turn up at a specific location and then they head to to that site because they're following these individuals online? It, it's literally as simple a progression as, as that. It's not some sort of dark web messaging or anything like that.
2: Exactly. I mean, it isn't really that complicated. I mean, we've seen this really play out in different kind of ways over the last year, right? I mean... If you take, you know, especially over the last year, really, since the kind of anti-immigrant mobilization that we've seen, like earlier, or say like at the end of last year and this time last year, It would take something as simple as someone posting a video online showing migrant men getting off a bus somewhere in the country. That's all that it would need to be. And that would be enough to mobilize people onto the streets. Um, And then at other times, it was based on complete falsehoods. Like people might remember the false claims about sexual assaults that were apparently committed by migrant men, specifically in Finglas and in Dungarvan. So these were big claims that went around earlier this year. Again, these were based on lies, yet they were enough to bring people onto the streets that is generally the the playbook, especially when it comes to anything to do with immigrants. It is seizing on any kind of nefarious or criminal activity to do with immigrants or even just the presence of uh, immigrants in any kind of particular area um, in order to mobilize people.
0: And finally, are the online platforms doing enough to stop this, this spread or is there anything they could do because it just needs to go up rapidly for a couple of minutes and people get the message?
2: Uh, Simply put, the platforms are not doing enough. I mean, if you look at any of the mainstream platforms, they have very substantial community guidelines and policies that they what they say is allowed and not allowed in their platform. And it's very, very clear that they are not enforcing these policies and they are not taking the accountability that they should be for the issues that they are um, that they are contributing to. Um, Now, in saying that there is a couple of pieces of legislation that are kind of coming into for the, the Digital Services Act at an EU level and then Ireland's Online Safety and Media Regulation Act, which should work to put the the platforms under more pressure to show that they're taking these um, problems seriously um, and if not, they will risk very large fines, but I think it'll be a while before we see if these pieces of legislation are going to have the teeth that they need to make any kind of change. I mean, these are huge issues and there's no real simple answer to it and I think we're probably in the early days of really trying to figure out how to, um, how to properly tackle these issues but another thing that's you know very important in terms of kind of understanding the kind of online ecosystem is that we have online spaces that are powered by algorithms that curate people's feeds and that curation of of, um, content is not based on accuracy it's not based on truthful content but it's based on content that is designed to generate engagement that kind of content is often divisive it's often completely false because that is what generates engagement. And it is those kind of mechanisms that power social media platforms. That is really um, in my opinion I think where a lot of the issues lie.
0: And my thanks to Aoife Gallagher and earlier to John Downing. I'm Sharon Sheehan and today's episode was produced and researched by Gareth Mulhall with sound by Niall McMonagle. Archive clips from the BBC, Channel 4 News, France van Katz Sky News and The Irish Independent You can follow more on this story at The Irish Independent and if you enjoy the Indo Daily don't forget to like follow and leave us a review
1: Remember you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel